For the first time in its history, New York City's Central Park is home to a monument depicting real-life women. This summer, amidst the COVID-19 pandemic, a statue of women's rights pioneers Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and Sojourner Truth made its debut on Central Park's Literary Walk. The nonprofit organization Monumental Women was instrumental in seeing the project through. I talked with Monumental Women's president, Pam Elam, and board member Namita Luthra about their efforts to break the bronze ceiling. Pam, thank you so much for taking the time. Pleasure. Thank you for uh, being interested in what we're doing. Namita, thank you to you. We're happy to be here. So you all have broken the bronze ceiling. Tell us about what you've accomplished, Pam. Well, as you may know, uh, Central Park has been in existence for 167 years. It has never had a statue of a real woman. There were fictional women, Alice in Wonderland and uh, fictional females like Mother Goose and allegorical figures, Juliet with Romeo, that sort of thing. But until our all-volunteer not-for-profit group, Monumental Women, said, enough, uh, there has to be a statue of a real woman, and we will do it in 2020, and we will not just stop at one real woman, we will do three women's rights pioneers in honor of the centennial anniversary of the ratification and certification of the 19th Amendment to the Constitution when women won the vote. We decided uh, then and there uh, that was time to break the bronze ceiling. It was past time to break the bronze ceiling, but if the city wouldn't do it or any other entity, then Monumental Women would. Namita, tell us about the three women that you are now honoring in Central Park with that statue. Yeah, so it's Sojourner Truth, Susan B. Anthony, and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. All three of the women are New Yorkers. They were contemporaries of each other. They all fought and dedicated their lives to beginning the fight for the vote for women. And none of them lived long enough to see it actually become law. But there was something profound about the three of them sitting at a table, working together. And our sculptor, nationally acclaimed Meredith Bergman, has talked about how they represent the three arms of activism. So Journer Truth is speaking and was a powerful orator. Um, Susan B. Anthony is standing behind the two of them. She stands 14 feet tall and she is known for being an agitator. She loved being in the public eye and trying to persuade people of this one idea, the right to vote for women. And Katie Stanton is sitting at the desk, pen in hand, ready to write. Um, She was a visionary thinker and writer. And so they, they represent those three arms of activism, and they're doing it together, most importantly. How did you decide upon those three women? What was the process? Well, we issued an RFQ, RFP back on November 6th of 2017, and Some of your listeners may know that we picked that date because that was the anniversary of the referendum when New York women won the right to vote. uh, And uh, we wanted to celebrate historical benchmarks along the way in our whole campaign. Uh, So we issued the RFQ RFP. We opened up um, the design competition and it 
continued through uh, fighting for a site inside the walls of Central Park and moving forward through a rather bumpy bureaucratic maze, which is uh, New York City government, we had to go through not only the Parks Department, the Central Park Conservancy, the Public Design Commission, the Landmarks Preservation Commission, but every single community board that surrounded Central Park. So getting the approvals of all of those entities and for, as I've said, a, an all-volunteer not-for-profit group, we had to raise $1.5 million in private funding to make this happen. So step after step, we persisted and we never lost sight of the goal of not only honoring the valiant women who came before us, but carrying on their journeys toward justice and equality. Because if, if people come and see this beautiful monument on Literary Walk in Central Park, we'd like them to go away with not only the inspiration that these three women have given us, but also a feeling that they have to go and complete the journey for full equality for all women in our lifetimes. How did you go about raising $1.5 million? The biggest help in going forward with that fundraising was the $500,000 challenge grant that New York Life Insurance Committee uh, you know, company gave us. They had their own connection to Susan B. Anthony, as it turns out. Uh, she uh, had a, a life insurance policy with New York Life. Her relatives, her father and a couple of brothers actually worked for what was then the company that became New York Life Insurance Company. So uh, unbeknownst to us, uh, <laughs> they had that link. They read about what we were doing said, we want to help, here's a challenge grant. So once they uh, gave us that, uh, we, were, we were off and running, and we got donations from the Ford Foundation, uh, the American Express uh, Company, um, the Jane Walker Campaign, businesses and foundations uh, of all kinds, as well as cookie money donated by various Girl Scout troops along the way. And there was even a bake sale that children at the Brooklyn Mary McDowell Friends School had for us. So contributions large and small, all of which were greatly appreciated, added up to that $1.5 million. Didn't one volunteer even start selling face masks to raise money for this effort? Uh, you know, what, what individual folks did, uh, we are not often apprised of. Uh, but, uh, you know, as I... Uh, had mentioned in our unveiling ceremony, we created our own face mask to hand out every person to every person who came. We were only allowed because of the obvious pandemic restrictions when we unveiled the statue on August 26th to have about 75 socially distanced uh, people in the audience in addition to press and the uh, staff and employees of various agencies and entities, but we handed out our own monumental women masks at that time. Namita, what was that moment like for you, the unveiling? It was extraordinary. Even despite the limitations on the number of people who could be there, we wanted to create a really powerful live stream event that could hopefully reach people across the world. And in some 
strange way allowed us to broaden our reach um, from the way we had been thinking about it as sort of just an in-person, thousands of people live event. Um, so it forced us to think about how to create a small intimate event that also can be live streamed out to a very large audience. But it was an extraordinary day. It was joyful, but it was also solemn because it was the 100th anniversary of the certification of the 19th Amendment, as Pam said. Um, we created this program where we brought in uh, the recordings of the descendants of Sojourner Truth, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, so we could hear from them. We have had the support of actors Meryl Streep, Viola Davis, Rita Moreno, and others, uh, acclaimed actors who have lent their voices to the statue so our monument will be both seen and heard. Um, Ken Burns has given us his full support and did a recording, really talking about these women as national heroes. And then Hillary Rodham Clinton joined us at the live event, and that was very special. She said that there is nothing more important to honor the women portrayed in this statue than to vote. She was thrilled to lend her support and to meet our sculptor, Meredith Bergman. Why do you think it is that women have been overlooked in statuary in Central Park all of these years? Well, I think women... We could, <laughs> we could yeah. both uh, add to a, a description of discrimination against women over time, but please, you go, Nomita. Yeah, so I think women have been overlooked in history, period, just full stop. And I think the lack of public commemoration to them, the lack of statuary and monuments to them, is really a reflection of a much deeper problem that we've had from the very beginning of our country. And um, trying to rectify this gender imbalance in statuary is just one step on a much larger mission that monumental women has to sort of educate the public and have municipalities all across the country reimagine their public spaces. Pam, you want to add to that? Well, I, I just want to say that people might be surprised to know that in New York City, uh, in public spaces all around the city, there are 150 statues. Only five of them are women. Our statue is the sixth, and that is outrageous for an allegedly progressive city. And that's why monumental women had to form, had to act, had to seize the moment because uh, we have issued a challenge to municipalities all over the country to reimagine their private spaces and include more tributes to women and people of color. It, it is just totally heartbreaking that so many valiant women over so long a time have been so overlooked, and we are determined to bring their stories to light. We are determined to make sure that our public spaces represent everybody, and also that we achieve a full and fair historical record that includes the vast and varied accomplishments of women and people of color. That is the ultimate goal, to make sure that history reflects the reality of all of us, and all of us are included in history. History is all around us, and we can all be historians 
to try and rethink the past in order to reshape the future. Who are the other women that are represented in statuary in New York City? Well, the five of them, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt is in Riverside Park, and also Joan of Arc is at the northern part of Riverside Park. Gertrude Stein is in Bryant Park behind the public library. There is uh, a, a portrait bust of Golda Meir in the fashion district. And also uh, Harriet Tubman is uh, up in a uh, what used to be a, a traffic triangle uh, in Harlem. Those are the five. So how long ago did Monumental Women form? Uh, we formed uh, officially as a not-for-profit group uh, with tax exemption and all of the paperwork in 2014. So we've been going uh, from the beginning discussions to now for seven years. So as you said, it's been a long road to this point, though. A lot of obstacles that you had to get over to get here. Well, in historical terms, seven years is really only the blink of an eye, but I'm sure Namita would agree with me that it seems much longer, given uh, some of the obstacles that we've run into and um, some of the, um, you know, it, it, the frustration is that, and the heartbreaking thing to me is that it's not just the bureaucracy, bureaucracy saying no, 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 and we overcome it, we overcome it, we move step by step uh, toward um, victory. But it's the fact that so many people for so many years walked through Central Park and didn't even notice real women were missing. What does that say about the discrimination against women? What does that say about the invisibility of women, not only in our public spaces, because not everybody can devote seven years of her life and raise a, a lot of private money to build a statue, but people can in their own communities have a street sign honoring uh, a woman uh, that made an important contribution, uh, have a plaque on a home where she lived or a place where she worked or even a garden, all kinds of ways to bring the story of women's history to life. And uh, through our education campaign, we're going to be trying to help uh, folks come up with those uh, suggestions and the women that they may not know about uh, to spread the word. Yeah, let me to talk to me more about where you're taking your work from here. Yeah, so I think just building on that idea of the education campaign um, and, and, you know, the length of time that it took us to get this monument in place really mirrors the persistence that it took for women to win the vote in the first place. And there is so much to learn from women's history, especially around the suffrage movement. It lasted for more than three generations. It was a long, arduous, multifaceted fight. There are strategic lessons and public relations lessons. They invented the concept of lobbying. How do you get a country to do something that it doesn't really quite believe in yet. It requires persuasive skills of the highest order. The 1920 ratification of the 19th Amendment was the largest nonviolent revolution in this country's history, where over half the population won the franchise. And we know, as a matter of fact, that all women weren't able to exercise that right for decades. But putting a stake in the Constitution 
that said that voting can't be denied on account of sex is a significant stake, and it was a first step towards a march for full equality, and we're still on that march right now. Pam, as you mentioned, people have walked through that park for years not noticing that women weren't equally represented, or at least really represented at all in statuary. When did you first notice, hey, something's wrong here. They're all men. Well, uh, I made my first public speech about uh, women's rights when I was 13 years old. So I have been uh, angry for a long time (laughs) and also trying to find constructive ways to work for equality and work for um, the full and fair story of what women have done in history for a long time. I I'm originally from Kentucky, and I came up to New York in 1978 to get a Master's of Women's History at Sarah Lawrence College. That was one of the few places in the world where you could get an advanced degree in women's history. So uh, my particular focus on New York City uh, started in 1978 and has uh, continued. Namita, how about you? How did you get involved with Monumental Women? What road led you to this organization? Well, I started my legal career um, at the ACLU Women's Rights Project, and um, there we worked to really dismantle all the barriers that stand in the way of women and girls living the sort of life they want to live and, and being on the path that they want to be on. And my work with Monumental Women is really just an extension of that. Um, I first learned of Monumental Women in 2016. I read a local newspaper article about Girl Scouts that Pam mentioned earlier. They were marching through Central Park asking, where are the women? I took that idea to my daughter's Girl Scout troop and wanted to see if they would want to be, you know, um, engaged in any of this. And I'll never forget that moment. They were sitting in a circle on a carpeted floor in a basement that moment when they first found out that there were no statues of women in Central Park, they said, not a single one? How can that be? And when they found out that there was a statue of a heroic sled dog named Balto, that was it. They were going to do something. Um, They decided that one way they could help was to raise funds for the statue. And so cookie box by cookie box, they raised $2,000, which was double their original goal, and they presented that money to monumental women. Um, For those girls, it was really their first ever lesson in civic engagement, and they're lucky because they got to see the culmination of that work. Rarely in women's rights or civil rights history do you really get to see the finish line Um, But we're all striving towards that. I was going to say how amazing for them, how inspirational for them to really fuel them going forward to affect change, right? Yeah, that they can actually do something about it. They can look around, see a problem, think, well, what can I do to help solve it? They also wrote to their senator, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. She wrote back to them right away. Um, She said that she was happy to hear that their troop wasn't giving up the fight and that she would never give up the fight either. It's important for them to see um, women in powerful positions, um, you know, actually doing really important things and that one day they might be able to do that too. And could I just salute another woman uh, very quickly? Uh, Gail Brewer, Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer, 
has been with us every step of the way. She is a wonderful friend, and not only that, but an extraordinary uh, public official. So we want to salute Gail Brewer. Yes. Do you all have your sights set on another park in New York City right now for a statue honoring a woman? Well, we have our sights set on every park in uh, New York City, (laughs) Uh, just in terms of um, trying to find ways that uh, information, as we've discussed today, can be integrated in the, the whole public space discussion. And uh, we carry it forward, as I've mentioned, to public spaces throughout the country. So it's not just New York City, but with our education campaign, the challenge to municipalities, the continuing discussion of other statues, um, Monumental Women is here to stay. If, if uh, the city thought uh, we were one and done uh, with this statue, no, we will, we will be around and in the conversation for a long, long time. Are there women high on your list to be honored with statues? Well, the short answer is yes. Namita, do you want to answer also? <laughs> Well, we haven't we haven't really thought about a list of women. I think all of us on the board admire so many women, including women of color, um, who are deserving of statuary. Ida B. Wells, Mary Church Terrell. There are an, a long list of women that we could commemorate. Um, but we and we'll come up with that list and really define our specific goals. Um, but really, the goal is to get women and girls knowing about women's history. When you know the names and faces and voices of the women who came before us and all the obstacles they had to overcome, you think, well, I can do it too. I think knowing history arms you with a resolve. And that's the aim of monumental women um, more broadly. And that's where we're going to, this is, as Pam said, this is not an end point, really. This is a start point for us. And the list that uh, we speak about, you know, as as Lumita said, uh, our board has to meet and will review suggestions and and eventually come up with public recommendations. But we want to highlight New York women, too, as the three women that we're talking about, Sojourner Truth, Susan B. Anthony, and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, as we've already discussed, were New Yorkers, were contemporaries. They often attended the same meetings, spoke on the same stages. It's only fitting that they share the same pedestal. But we want to focus on New York women, too, so that the history is not just um, generic in a way, but totally focused so people can understand the important contributions women made in these communities in which we live today. And they never heard about it. They never knew. Nobody ever said we're going to bring those stories to light. So it literally comes home to the people in the various communities who are thinking of uh, honoring the people who've come before. I recently learned the name Elizabeth Jennings. I've never heard of her before, but an African-American woman who desegregated streetcars. I could think that she deserves a statue in New York City. Well, uh, the short answer is yes, but she has a street sign uh, that you may have seen that is opposite City Hall Park down in Lower Manhattan. So at least she has a street sign, which is uh, more than um, most others have. But you're absolutely right. There are so many ways to honor women, so many women who need to be honored. 
Who were among your female role models growing up? Pam, I'll start with you. Well, for me, the North Star was always Susan B. Anthony. I I learned, you know, when I said my first uh, public speech was uh, when I was 13, I was going through my junior high school library trying to find even one book about women. And there was one book about historical women, and it, it had chapters on women like Helen Keller and Susan B. Anthony. So from that moment that I read about Susan B. Anthony and her fight for voting, which was not just a single idea in the in the sense of things, it was a door through which all the other rights could come that she thought in terms of women having power and shaping uh, policy and that sort of thing. So from that moment on, for me, it was Susan. Namita? Yeah, for me, I, I was born in India, and I moved from India when I was uh, about four years old, and we moved to a small town in West Virginia. But I grew up thinking a lot about India's independence movement and really studied Mahatma Gandhi. And through that study, learned that there were a lot of women who played pivotal roles in shaping what that independence would look like. Um, so they, uh, they're people that I think of. Um, m- more recently, I, you know, when I joined the ACLU Women's Rights Project, um, it was a project that was founded by Ruth Bader Ginsburg in 1972 when she was a young lawyer and really carving out what we now think of as gender discrimination um, litigation. It didn't exist really before her, and she very sort of systematically and methodically brought cases one after the other to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, She's had incredible jobs, as we know, but she always still says that her time at the ACLU was her favorite job. Um, So she, she stands out as a pillar of someone I look up to and admire immensely. Are you aware of any other cities, states, or even countries that have done a better job honoring women, recognizing women for their contributions? Well, you know, better is a word I wouldn't use because all of them have been terrible. I'm sorry, but that is just the truth. There isn't one single place that you can, or that I can, I'll just speak for myself, of course, that I can cite that has done, a, a, you know, a shining star kind of rating uh, for that. I think a lot of um, cities now are being challenged to do better. I know in San Francisco, they're trying to um, have a continuing discussion about honoring Maya Angelou and that discussion is ongoing in Chicago. There is a statue uh, about Ida B. Wells that will um, soon be seen. Uh, so there are efforts in various places, but in terms of the municipalities owning this and stepping up and saying, we will lead the way for women and people of color to be honored, sadly, uh, there, there isn't a, a model which others could follow. That's where you come in and all of the great work that you're doing. Well, thank you for saying that. We appreciate it.
Well, I look forward to the next time I walk through Central Park. I have not seen this statue yet with my own eyes, but I can't wait to see it with my own eyes. Can you talk to me a little bit more about the sculptor? Because what an amazing piece of work it is. I saw it online, but again, not in person. Yeah, Meredith Bergman, yeah, Meredith has really embraced this challenge, and it was not an easy challenge. She had about two years to come up with this, um, the design, the idea, and then the execution of all of it, and she's done it so beautifully. She's, I think, just worked tirelessly for those two years to make it a reality. Um, as I said, it stands 14 feet tall. It's 36 tons. Um, her previous work includes the Boston Women's Memorial on Commonwealth Avenue, the FDR Hope Memorial on Roosevelt Island, and a memorial at uh, the Cathedral of St. John the Divine. But what's incredible about the monument is not just its size and, you know, that it's in bronze, but these small details that she's added that really are moving, like Sojourner Truth's hands or this leather bag that um, Anthony has where she's just run in from or is about to run out to. It's bursting with documents and pamphlets and a petition for universal suffrage, an advertisement for one of Truth's talks. Um, the entire thing feels like it's alive, like these women and the scene is really lifelike. Well, I'm going to mask up and get out to Central Park very soon. Pam, thank you so much. Thank you. Namita, thank you. Thank you so much, George. Pam Elam is the president of the volunteer-run nonprofit Monumental Women. Namita Luthra is a board member with the organization. More info at monumentalwomen.org. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. Our producer is Maddie Bristow. Our music is courtesy of bensound.com. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>